definitely a lot of the work that we do and have done over the years is often making sure that we're not just thinking about the consumer through like the vertical of the business. Like one person touches so many different things. Just this past week, I talked about how a Vans consumer might have an AT&T cell phone, have a kid pushing a Hot Wheels car. Like people are multidimensional. So when we come to the table talking about what's important to a consumer from a leadership perspective, we bring those analogies in like as a best practice. So that's constant like input for the team. Welcome to the Paint and Pipette podcast. My name is Jeremy Utley, and it's my job to illuminate the tactics of world-class performers across domains. As a day job, I teach at the Stanford D School, helping students learn what it takes to come up with ideas. But I've realized I need to stay in the classroom learning myself. And this podcast is my classroom. Hey, hey, I'm Marcus Hollinger. I lead marketing and creative at Reach Records and Atlanta-based independent record label. And I'm also co-founder for Portrait Coffee, where we are seeking to reimagine the picture that comes to mind for folks in specialty coffee. I'm so excited to pull up my desk alongside my good friend and fellow learner, Jeremy. And I think y'all are going to love what we have for you this season. We've got some amazing stories on deck, and we can't wait to dive in and learn alongside you. So grab your pipette and your paintbrush, and let's make something beautiful together. Today, we talk with Kelly Garrett Ziegler about her two decades long career in the category of consumer insights in a career that spanned across organizations from Mattel to Vans to Vanity Fair Corporation to now Pearson. Kelly shares her insights about the importance of surprises, questions to drive consumer understanding, and the unexpected sensation that accompanies a true consumer discovery. She talks to us about tips to construct a diverse constellation of collaborators, as well as her favorite go-to resources and tactics to stimulate fresh thinking. We were thrilled by this conversation and we think you will be too. All right, so we're sitting here with our dear friend, KGZ. Kelly, so good to have the chance to share your story with folks. You're an amazing creative practitioner with some amazing experience. And so it's a delight to get to be with you. I want to start with a question that we ask everyone. And hopefully it it brings you back in time somewhere. I'm curious to know about a creative achievement that you're proud of. What's a specific creative achievement that you're proud of? One. Well, let's start with one and (laughs) give us more. Yeah, like the most exciting creative achievement that you can think about right now first one that comes to mind don't edit just give it to us all right maybe this one comes to mind it's from back in the day but very relevant because i'm a mom back working with mattel days we spent a lot of time studying kids and that meant spending time in real life messy homes all over the u.s with folks just in day-to-day living and this product we like co-developed this idea of like bathtub track sets So ultimately, like a track set that kids are playing with in a bathtub so that moms can have more time to themselves to relax just a little bit while their kids are in a tub. And it it was inside that kind of came out of the most surprising place. Nothing we were expecting to find. Being a mom myself now, 
that one really, really resonates. <laughs> okay, wait. So what do you mean when you say nothing we expected to find? Like set the context. What were you expecting? What did you go there thinking you might discover? Because we always kind of come in with hunches. Put us in your yeah. mind prior to the moment of insight and then let us know how did the insight develop? Yeah, so what we expected back in the day, so this was kind of to put a little bit of context in, and some of it's still true today. Like kids, you think one of the biggest pain points is like how to get them outside, how to get them away from all of their like mobile devices or technology in general. So we had a lot of hypotheses or thoughts about like, one, how are they engaging in that space? What could we do potentially as a business to help get them out into that space more? Because we thought there's a lot of good in the world that could kind of be done in that realm. But instead, we found ourselves spending a lot of time in whether small, big, messy, wet, like bathrooms where we see like hearing moms just saying, this is like the one piece of time that I actually have to myself. What could I do to keep my kid in this tub longer or make them want to get clean? It's just not a place like never would have expected I'd spend as much time like in people's bathrooms as we <laughs> as we did, or that there would be something about like a safe haven, not just for the kid, but for like a parent to get a little bit of like reprieve. So for me, that always stood as an example. I wasn't a parent at the time, so I could not relate on a personal level to that at all. But it, it was one of my first experiences early on just to be like open because you really never know where you're going to spend your time, where there's an opportunity and where you could be surprised. What was kind of the expectation resetting process like? Because I mean, it sounds like you start this project thinking it's about getting out of doors. And then somehow you said, I found myself in bathrooms. I mean, I imagine that you weren't like smuggled or kidnapped, right? You're like a willing adult who's a part of the equation here. So like, how did you go from trying to get out to like allowing yourself to be sucked into the bath? Like what was that expectation realignment process? How it started with, even though we kind of knew or thought we knew where we wanted to go or where the opportunity was, we still wanted to be surprised. So being surprised meant like organically, just when you spend time with people, having them walk us through, like, where are they spending their time? Where are their kids engaging? And just really going wherever that truth or that person's truth would take us. And it was interesting after, you know, a few weeks, multiple homes, we found ourselves in bathrooms. (laughs) And then not at all, like I said, a place where we were supposed to be. It wasn't a one-off. It was genuinely something that like multiple people kind of kept pointing us to like this one very unexpected place that happened to be a place where kids were engaging with like little Hot Wheels cars, like our product at the time. And it's just a complete unexpected place. In fact, a lot of us had the assumption like you wouldn't want to put a little car in a tub, won't it rust or won't something happen? Like it, it shouldn't have, it's not a place we were even advocating for like the product to be used, but kind of it was. So to answer your question, we found ourselves there. I found myself in a lot of bathrooms just because I didn't want to go in just following my assumption. I wanted to go where people really are. And that's how you get yeah. surprised. That's just awesome. And there's something you said that just leapt out and grabbed me. So I just want to, I just want to ask about it. You said we knew or we had a direction, but we wanted to be surprised. Can you tell me like, at least for our listeners, like where does that come from? Where, especially in a business context to have the reflex or to have your attention drawn that way to say, we wanted to be surprised. You know, it's like an intentional choice. I mean, it's kind of hard to say, but I found myself whether, yeah, I've worked in insights for the last 20 years and literally just had this conversation with like a brand new team. Now it's like, when you think about an insight, like, where do you expect that to come from? Like it has to, in my opinion, it has to come from 
messy humans and messy humans are influenced by many different things. There's what's happening kind of culturally that could influence. And that's like in the instance, way back in the Mattel days, cultural noise or cultural signals were telling us like there's something going on where people are spending too much time inside. They need to get outdoors and there's benefits. That's what happens when you kind of start looking at culture or trends in that space. Then there's also, you spend time with people and you look at how they're engaging with your product, with your service, with you as a human. I think this applies to business as well as like everyday life. You look at how they engage with like what you expect or like who you are, what they think about you. And then there's a the behavior looking at what do people actually do? All of those things are sometimes related. Sometimes they're all over the place. But I think what I've learned over the last 20 years and something I take to heart personally and professionally is that the richest insights, the richest surprises, especially businesses that want to be disrupted, people that want to push outside their norms are when you're open to really seeing and you expect to be messy. So you go in looking for the surprise. And then also I have the attention span of a five-year-old. So for me, if I'm not able to look for where it's messy, it's like, what's the point? Like if it's obvious, why are we here? Yeah. So because I've broken a rule and I think Ooh. my question might have taken us pretty general, I want to come back. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy, Jeremy, you yourself out. Marcus is driving me crazy. Why would you ask that? But I'm sorry. I had to go. So, so let's come back to this yeah. story. You wanted to be surprised. Surprises are riches. Well, how did this surprise pay off? Right. Like what happened next? Yeah. This surprise going back to like the tub tracks way back in the day. It resulted in a brand new product that was able to occupy like a different space in a different room, a different play pattern, a different consumer behavior opportunity that didn't exist. We were not developing track sets to be leveraged in a bathroom. So it was completely novel. So I think that was an example of like a category extension that was just unexpected. So that had a really tangible benefit. So we got our product in a new place with the same consumer in a different way. That's like a, that's a gold star for what we were really trying to do, like in that instance. So it opened up a brand new opportunity. That is awesome. And I'm so tempted to want to ask about some crazy bathroom stories, but I think it would be. I've seen a lot of very strange things working at insights over the years. Like when you go wherever people want you to go and the brands I've worked for. But hang on. So one thing I'm going to see the question and I'm going to ask you a question so you can have it in the back of your mind. When we said we wanted to hear about a creative achievement, you said only one. So my hunch is that there's others. So that's the second question. The first question is, What was the question that you asked when you went to someone's home, you thought you were going to go outdoors, you got redirected towards a surprise. Like you can't walk in and say, surprise me. That doesn't work. That's way too broad, right? You also can't walk in and say, why don't you go outside more, right? That's way too narrow. So what was the, I just love to know for somebody who's wanting to increase their likelihood of stumbling across a surprise, what question did you ask to get there? Yes. So for me, that usually starts with the show me so that I can be silent and I can go where a person wants me to go. So I think in this instance, one of the first questions was like, show me the last place you played where you really had a lot of joy. And so that was an example, probably not this specific question as I dig back in my old brain, but it was definitely the show me so that you can literally physically see in space where people are. And then grounding it in like a really the last time you felt 
and kind of insert the emotion. So most joy. And for in that instance, it was asking the kids to do that, which is something that's like little kids that was very approachable, but then also doing the same thing with parents, like show me the last place your child played where you had joy. So it was interesting. That's one of the ways how parents led us into bathrooms because it was something that was interesting and appreciative for them to get some of that like quiet alone time where your child is like safely contained. But then the kid was also having like a really good experience that was fun. And so the intersection of the two, but it was a show me. Again, I want to get to the second accomplishment or the third or the fourth because I knew you got them. But just on this story, tell us about the inception or conception, I don't know what the right word is, of the the bathtub track. When you're in the bathtub, you said it's after weeks, many people have us in the bathroom. Is it like a slow hunch that's developing? Stephen Johnson talks about a slow (laughs) hunch, right? Or was there a moment where it's like, why don't we, like, how did the idea to extend into the bathroom actually come? Because it's not like looking back, it seems like, oh, totally. That's just like we put Legos together. But a lot of times what I feel is, It's discovering a Lego that I did and then kind of forcing it in, you know, what was that moment? Do you remember it? Yeah. I mean, I remember a a few things stand out to me. One is the first time you see it, you're like, oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have expected that. And even that one person has a lot of value because that one person still represents more. So I never discount even like one experience. Again, that goes back to being surprised. There's other people that person represents. By the time you get to a very, not, it's not even like the second person, but as you see very different people with different stories, different experiences, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different, like they're very distinct, still kind of coming back to like this common point. That's when it's like, oh, there's something really here. There's something that's transcending just this one experience. I guess the diversity of folks who are kind of coming to something common, maybe they're doing it for different reasons, but they're still kind of coming back right. to this point. And then it is, we reach this collective moment of like, why did we not think of that? This feels like the most obvious thing in the world. Like, of course. And that's usually, I felt like that's when across different teams, whether it's marketing product, everyone were like, yeah, of course. It's like, why didn't we know that? We some of people even had kids. It's like, why did we not? We just didn't think about it. So yeah, that's how I would answer that question. The diversity of folks, the Mm. distinction of them, and then it felt the gut part of you just felt so obvious. In a way, you know what's weird is it's almost like I mean I haven't thought about this way before, but it's almost like it goes from I don't know the answer to it's past tense. (laughs) It's like wait. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not even like a new idea. It's like, I'm discovering something that I should have thought of before. And in that sense, it's a past tense realization almost. Yeah, Everything has felt that way. It's just like, yeah, it's always been there. We just now like discovered, like rediscovered it. You almost feel guilty. It's not an innovation. It's just like, we needed to develop for this thing that's always been there. And just somehow we didn't make the space for it, but it did feel obvious. Like we have, and also the the energy kind of internally, because we have to do this. Like, I'm sure this wasn't like the first breakthrough moment that you had, but you used the word you said, we feel guilty, right? It doesn't feel like an innovation, I guess, maybe specific to this moment, like, well, then what happens when that guilt hits? Like, what else are you thinking in that moment? So a few different ways I would answer that from just being an insights professional, it just makes you have this humble appreciation for get your own biases out the way. And it like really does reaffirm the importance of, yes, you have an idea 
but it makes you wonder like how many other good ideas did we potentially miss out on because we were like too laser focused as a business on making an assumption to solve for X. And there's a lot of pressures and realities that drive people to that, like timelines, cost, whatever. But a little bit of that guilt is like, there's so much richness that when you just make the space from the consumer perspective. And the other piece of guilt is like, it feels so obvious. You're like, why did we not do this before? Like, why? Why? I would say that's the other component. So two different layers of guilt, but ultimately what's good about that, it really does like inspire action. One, it makes us take it very seriously. It helps inside of a business move faster toward like developing an innovation because there's so much passion behind it. Because you can tell when something's really rooted in a genuine like consumer need and a different type of excitement kind of happens when it's something that you scan the market, like you don't really see it existing yet versus a lot of times you're iterating, improving, but something like novel just gives you a different type of energy because it doesn't happen all the time within a business, especially established businesses. So I like that. You said that guilt turns into passion, which leads to action. And I think maybe Jeremy already seeded the question, but I guess, so then what, what was sort of another action or did this inspire momentum for you or did this leap into another project where you applied that same energy or maybe there's another story where this applied? Yeah, I would say fast forward multiple years and to like a different company. So before my current company, I was at Vance. I think you all may have had the pleasure of talking to some of my like former colleagues there too, but some different examples that come to mind, again, like being surprised working at Vans, I spent a lot of time in skate parks around the world <laughs> or various random places, wherever a skater wants Jealous. to go, keeping this PG, I won't talk to or about like where all those places were. But again, like an audience that so many people felt we have a lot of understanding about just because of the culture of the business. But Again, always taking the lessons learned multiple years before from Mattel's, like always leave room to be surprised, go where people take you, listen to their real pain points and problems. And fast forward, there is a project underway that is really about how to get more life, I'd say, out of a product that they love, which happens to be a shoe. What can make that shoe more durable, better for them as they're trying to skate? But that was really born out of the same thing, like spending rich time with people, being surprised and like whatever assumptions we had about skaters, some of those assumptions weren't true. And it led to like developing a different type of product. That's cool. I wonder about... You say I've been in insights for 20 years, and yet I'm sure my assumption is wrong, and I'm not sure what my assumption is. But tell me about, you said you've got to make space, you've got to leave room. How much time is actually spent in the bathroom at the skate park versus like in email, in PowerPoint? You know what I mean? Because like part of my assumption is somebody who's in insight should be spending all their time in the world. And I doubt that's true. And I wonder like, how do you feel about it? Or how how do you think about that? And again, that's, I'll say Mia culpa (laughs) as Marcus did, because that's a super general question, but maybe can you tell us about a time, maybe to get more specific, push myself. Can you tell us about a time you felt the tension between the need to be in the market versus the pull to do other things and how you resolved it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a tension I've lived through every single company and being that my roots have always been like deep empathy and have had the ability to touch. When I say consumer insights, even too, just for people that are listening, that is also a broad term that encompasses many, many different things. But at the root of it, it's all about empathy. And I do believe empathy can be gleaned in different ways. So some of it is, a lot of it should be in-field 
spending time with people that can be like, I feel there's been so much evolution in the research world where even like what we're doing now, we can use digital or we can use Zoom. There's different ways of engaging, but they're at the root of it. Insights is about empathy, which means a bulk of your time needs to be spent listening to and talking to real people so that we're not just talking to ourselves. And it is a constant tension within the business because we're running the business. So too much of my day is probably spent in emails now. But what I would say is that I have a team and we want to make sure that that team is comprised of folks who are touching all of these different pillars. So a team of folks who is only studying culture what are we hearing? What are we seeing at a global scale? In some instances, we work still with real people, but they're like trim spotters who folks we hire to be like on the ground, in the street, taking pictures, talking, telling us like what they're seeing that's surprising them, shocking them and what that means. Then there are the people who are more closely related to, I'd say, like user experience where they are. I work closely with those teams different places, whether they are managed by me or not, either way, within an insights perspective, spending time actually with people in their homes, interacting with products, giving us feedback, failing fast, like very much everything I think about in the realm of design thinking. And then we have our insights market research professionals who are also thinking about consumers at an aggregate level. But what really the magic is, is that we all have to spend time coming together And in most of our meetings, having a picture of a real person that we've interacted with saying that at the end of the day, we're doing this in service of these personas, these people, these audiences is critical. But in my ideal world, I would spend all day just talking to people over the years that hasn't been able to be what I get to do, but my team, yes, yeah. It's tough, right? It's tough. So walk us through. So to me, I would love to hear about a meeting where insights were shared across those disciplines. I mean, you talk about culture, trend spotting, market research, user experience. Can you tell us about a moment? And I'll give you the line. There's one of my favorite books called Where Good Ideas Come From by Stephen Johnson. And he references this study by Kevin Dunbar of McGill University, who's now at Dartmouth, but he conducted one of the most famous studies of science labs. And what they discovered was as Johnson puts it, he just puts it beautifully. So I'll quote him. He says, the insight didn't take place under the microscope, but at the conference table. And it's, and it's actually where researchers, it's these moments where researchers come together and share the questions and the stuff that's not working out. And he speaks actually there at length about, or maybe it's in Dave Epstein's range. I think he references the same study, but there he goes. I love that book. I'm reading that right now. It's so good. It's the best, right? And he talks about, maybe you've seen this part, He talks about how the teams that were able to break through faster, Dunbar actually studied multiple teams that were trying to do the same thing. And he, under, you know, vow of silence, wasn't able to share, but he saw one team break through like in an afternoon and another team spin its wheels for months. And he said, the only difference was the breadth of analogies, the team, the more diverse team was able to draw from enabled them to break through very quickly. Whereas the homogenous team spun their wheels because they lacked the range. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. to the point of the book. Anyway, all yeah. that say, that's kind of a little bit, I'm hopefully giving you time to think. Can you tell us about one of those moments where the breakthrough didn't happen in the street, so to speak? It happened because of the team working together. Yeah. I mean, an immediate example that comes to mind. And I think about, I often come back to empathy. The foundation of what helps drive when we're at, I'll say in this instance, 
Well, I'll give you the example and then I'll kind of come back to that point. So this was back in my days of of Vans. And one of the questions that was a big meaty question was without, I guess, giving too much away, we wanted to understand our brand's position and skate leadership. It's a huge meaty question. We spent months doing very kind of getting to your point of interdisciplinary perspective. We spent a lot of time trying to understand one, what are dimensions of leadership in and even outside of like what we were trying to investigate? Because that's a big word. It could mean a bunch of different things. So like, what does it really mean? And where have we seen different companies, different brands actually breaking through in my vantage point as being seen as like the best in class consumer experience? So definitely a lot of the work that we do and have done over the years is often making sure that we're not just thinking about the consumer through like the vertical of the business. Like one person touches so many different things. Just this past week, I talked about how a Vans consumer might have an AT&T cell phone, have a kid pushing a Hot Wheels car. Like People are multidimensional. So when we come to the table talking about what's important to a consumer from a leadership perspective, we bring those analogies in like as a best practice. So that's constant like input for the team. Is there, you said people are multi-dimensional. I just, mm. even, even if there's just one analogy, was there one analogy from the scrap heap that you could share? Maybe even just thinking about that mm. person that wears Vans, has a AT&T cell phone. And was there an analogy that we could hang on? Oh, let me think. An analogy that relates to leadership. Let me come back to that. I don't, I can't think of like one specific analogy other than to say, or or maybe one that we would in somewhat reference is oftentimes some in one category, and this is an example of that I would leverage, like why empathy is so important. And a company that used to have like very strong leadership perspective in a different category was Victoria's Secret. Victoria's Secret pretty much like dominated one particular, like when you thought of like laundry and you thought of that Victoria's Secret come to mind. But I think they also over the years have been completely disrupted by other brands. Like if you think about Fenty or you think about Third Love, because they took a perspective of, we're not trying to think about a woman only or a person as they're only wearing laundry. We're thinking about like the whole person, like what is their complete lived experience? Who do they want to be? How does that show up in culture? What are they doing? Like, And so those would be some examples that we would all actually, I leveraged a lot. And even from a, a leadership perspective from Vans, do you want to compare yourself to Nike? Do you want to compare ourselves to some other experience that when we think about like what really matters to like a person. So I think those are just examples of trying to tap into, at least when we come to conversations, when we're talking about the consumer, reminding people brands get disrupted because they don't think about a person holistically and Victoria's Secret and Third Love have blown up very quickly compared to how long it took Victoria's Secret to potentially get to a leadership perspective. But that's that's one example. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that, that's awesome. It almost sounds like just using analogies can almost be a springboard to developing a bigger picture mm-hmm. to then gather more data. Is that kind of what you're saying? A hundred percent. And the reason why I bring those examples up, because it really does frame even the question for us, you know, Vans was about skate leadership, but that meant how do you really stand out to a consumer, not just from the products that they're buying, but you mean something to them culturally. You, they're a brand that you want to be a part of like your identity to some different ways. And so that's why looking to other brands that, you know, quite frankly, there's no quote reason from a business perspective, like you just need to be thinking about Fenty all day long. But for us, it's like, it's important because these are brands that are important to people because they touch on, as I say, like a broader range other than just how they interact with like 
one product. It's touching more on the entirety of their lived experience. So from a consumer perspective, that's really important context because that also allows us to understand what's important to people, where our brand can show up. And then ultimately, as we get down to some of our specific questions, whether it's a product or a different service, how do we want to show up? And when we innovate, like, what are we really trying to innovate for? It should always be in service of the real person. And that gives us room to even innovate different business models or be again, going back to the being surprised. I want to shift gears and go maybe practical, personal, not like emotional, personal, although we can go there if you want, but practically speaking, I'd love to hear if you've got a tool or a trick or a tactic or a technique that you feel I don't want to say embarrassed of, but like, it's something that you feel like this is probably kind of weird, but I do it that if you saw it in a book by a Harvard, you know, professor or something, you would walk around going, see, I'm not crazy. (laughs) Is there some, do you have? There's one, there is one actually. I like to look at photos and whether it's an image from like magazine, whatever it could be like, there's something about when there's no words just really looking at an experience and trying to draw as many conclusions as you possibly can. And I know I learned that from learn. I picked that up from someone, but it really has been like a little tool that's been important to me, like in general and how that's played out at other companies is like Vance, for example, we would hire photojournalists to literally just go around the world, stop a person that was wearing van shoes, take a photo We would take those photos from around the world, come back to some different meetings and really just look at the picture. And in looking at the picture, see what surprised us, like what could we learn or infer about a person with no words? And that's been like one of the best practices for me, like as a, just on a personal level, but even professionally to say like, if I just stop all the noise, like what stands out and try and guess, like, what does that mean? It's kind of corny, but it's been something that's been really valuable to me. No, I love it. I love it. No, it's, we, we like tools like this. That, I mean, yeah, it's so that's... impactful. It's, it's especially for if you work for a brand that, and some folks, you're, we're fortunate enough. It's interesting. I'm not in this situation now, but previously I've been fortunate enough to work for brands where you can overtly see if someone's wearing your stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really interesting and something people often take for granted. Like, even if you're too shy to like talk to a consumer, you can look at them, like observe. There's so much richness to that. Like, what patterns are you seeing? And can you think of a learning or an insight that struck you through that practice? Oh, yeah. One is like a very basic one, but we would often have conversations around how often is a person like head to toe in a brand? Very rarely do you see that. And so that's interesting to say like, well, then what role do you play in how they express their identity? Especially when you see, I call it like logo clash, when you have like your competitors that you are like day in and day out, like trying to like fight against, still share from, and you see one person like wearing all of you at one time. It's like, how then do we like complement each other versus not? So it just opens up a lot of different interesting possibilities, but I mean, that's a basic one. That's the observation point. What's the insight? Like, tell me about a logo clash moment that you go, oh, now I know this. Yeah. I mean, I think just using an example of a person is not necessarily head to toe in brand X. So that means what role do we play? How do you be like, so a question becomes, how then do you become a centerpiece? That is the loudest part of that expression when you cannot take for granted that 
they want you to be a part of their entire like presentation. There's still ways. So it it creates the question, like, how do you stand out? How do you stand Mm. out for an individual? And what does that really mean? And so that's interesting. It just automatically gets into a bunch of different assumptions. Like to what degree do they want a brand to be an expression of who they are? Or do you want to seed into the background? But it's just been fascinating, like a whole reframe about how do we want to show up? One thing that makes me curious in that practice, going back to just this thought of being surprised by what you see as an insights professional who's been doing this for 20 years and is really good at this. If you can be surprised by something, (laughs) then I'm sure that means that your team may be surprised. So I'm just really curious, what role has communication played and how how do you then internally communicate the surprises that you find? to then inspire action. I mean, it definitely all starts with even creating a culture where people know that to be surprised is welcome. Sometimes over the years, you can start feeling a bit almost like down on yourself to your point is that from, you know, an insights perspective, it's almost as though you start to expect, like you should know you spend so much time with the consumer. There's almost like this, there has to be like a sense of humility. And that is like, I'd say more of like a cultural component that's been really important to bring into the teams is that it's a good thing to always be open and that you will never know more than the person that you're encountering because that's the first time you've spoken to that individual. But so if from a, it's, I definitely say like, it's a muscle that we've had to build over the years. And sometimes that muscle is a bit counter to the culture of like a company at times, but it is really, really important for us to even create like living spaces where we are documenting, how are we surprised? And then taking the next step, like, what does this mean? And then the next step of like, how are we seeing that expressed? That could be expressed in different ways, whether it's a marketing campaign, whether it's a competitive product, but whatever the case is, that's one way where we start training our teams to connect the dots. But it all starts with, for me, I like to set the expectation because I take it personally but certainly for the team, like, yeah, you should be surprised. We're doing something, to me, we're doing something wrong if we are not constantly learning something new, which might mean we need to talk to different audiences, different people, whatever that may entail. You make this all sound so intuitive, right? It's hard. hard. And that's what I was going to say. It must be, right? There's sort of like the curve of expertise as a listener. I'm sitting here like, oh, I'm getting ready to change my major and get into insight. (laughs) But I think that only means it's much more difficult than I understand. You talk about like muscles, right? You said this is a muscle that you got to learn to work out. And number one, my buddy Jojo's just as excited (laughs) as I am about what you're saying. I'm curious, what are some of the other, let's say, workouts that you do, or maybe to phrase it another way, what are some of the ways that you feed your muscles, whether that's resources, Mm -hmm. books, podcasts, TV shows, artists, like how do you sort of keep yourself in shape to do this work? Yeah, there's a few pieces on a personal level. I push myself to, and this is from working at Insights, but just a personal value, surround myself with people that are as different as possible for me, because I usually find myself taken through the most interesting, different paths, learning new things, connecting dots in a way I never would have just if I didn't have like my own personal circle filled with people that aren't like me. And then that also feeds into from an insights perspective, I'm very, very conscious of our team. Like who are we talking to? Where are we getting information? And a good practical example would be even if our businesses, let's say, have a footprint globally in terms of where we you know, dominantly sell, whatever the case is, 
it's still important for us to look across the globe in very different markets to understand people. So for us, whether we're, I'll give a small example, whether or not we have some brands have played a larger role in China, whether we do or not, I'm always still looking across the globe, across different regions to understand people. So I think that's like the first practice is make sure like you're expanding your net wide. That's really important. Can I ask yes. a follow-up there? I wonder how you know, you know, like uh, you said, I surround myself with people who are as different as possible, connecting dots that yeah. I couldn't have if my circle wasn't filled. How do you know what's different from you? Like, I mean, not to get like too like specific, but do you have a checklist? Like, how do you know when there's an open position in the <laughs> diversity circle? You know what I mean? Because I feel like that's yeah. like we have blind spots and we aren't even aware of. Yeah. I mean, I, that's a great push. Like, how do I know there's some, it's funny. Like I remember going through some training at one company and it, it was, it struck with me. I was doing it before, but when she kind of laid it out and her name is Amber Cabral, when she laid it out in this one particular way, it was like, think about who you are. Almost get a piece of paper, write down the attributes that are most salient to you, whatever that means. Then think about the people that you spend, like the five people you spend most of your time with, and then ask yourself, how are they different from you in terms of their educational profile. If you went to college, did they go or did they not go? If you think about like your ethnic identity, like how different are people from you there? As a person of faith, like someone who has like a very different religious view, or even some of my friends are like atheists, even though I have a very specific faith. I think about even industries that I, you know, I've i worked in and making sure friends are very different. My husband and I completely different in terms of like what we think about day in and day out. But for me, I kind of go through that personal checklist just to see like socioeconomic diversity, political diversity, religious diversity. And then certainly then the baseline that holds us all together, I would say though, are we able to communicate and disagree with humility and uplifting each other? Like that is important from my personal perspective. But then from a business perspective, I bring that in as well to say, you know, how are we ensuring that all of these voices are being listened to because in a business, there's a pressure to do research sometimes quickly, quickly may leave some voices out. How do we build in space to slow down and to even adjust our designs to making sure that we're getting that diversity represented? That's really, really important. So that's both personal and that's my, the Kelly checklist. (laughs) No, no, it's good. I'll bring it to a head as we close. This will be the last question, I think, unless Marcus has, or Jojo has a final word or Judah, either one. Oh yeah. Maybe Judah's first word. Judah might. Research, research. I was going to say KGZ. So just bringing this together, you're in a new role. You just joined a new organization. I did. You're talking about, you know, creating space. You're also, you've talked about creating a culture where it's okay to be surprised. Can you tell us, can you give us two or three specific things that you have said or done to establish that insights culture in your new team? Working on it right now, but it all starts with number one, the question that kind of we were just talking about is like, who are we listening to? That's like my very first question. And where are those voices coming from? The second is, I ask a lot of questions to kind of get at dimension. So I'm at a company that is now thinking about learning day in and day out. And so my question is like, what is the culture of learning? What has it been? What do we believe it will be? And what are the different dimensions of what learning is? So learning for the sake of what, for whom, 
And that becomes like the foundation for us to ask like richer questions and allow us to be able to talk to different voices and be surprised. But it starts by setting the expectation that there's more dimensions to anything than we originally believe. And I want to start creating space. I even saying like people are messy. We don't want to make them simple, but we want to make sure we understand them. Then it's our job to translate that to the business, but we need people just to be themselves. And we need to, again, like create that space. What's one goal you set for a team? I mean, is there a metric? I wonder, is it number of hours with consumers? Like, I wonder like, how can you, I don't know, you may have an answer or you may be thinking about it, but how do you know if you're on the right track in a quantitative way? So in a quantitative way, it eventually comes down to, are we making a measurable impact into how we are communicating this brand or what we're selling? And is that rooted to audiences that we can then like track to see like what they are actually are doing? It will, it will come down to that point eventually. So when you look at the whole continuum of insights, like we do get to that point, but a path before we get there is we need to make sure that we're measuring quote, the right thing from audiences that will be most impactful for where this brand wants to go. When we think about like, like our, you know, strategic vision. So for me, even right now in month two of this new organization, a metric of success, I'd say over the next 90 days is, are we even starting to talk about consumers in a richer way? And in a way that starts allowing us to understand as we think about learning, how are we going to be differentiated from what learning is today, how different competitors are kind of playing in the space in a way that feels grounded in like real people. So to me, that's how it's like slow steps to get there. But I'd say those are some of the components that we start thinking about. I'd say like the intricacies of how we talk about a concept. So you start scratch, you can scratch to the next level, the more connected you are to consumers. For me, when I look at brands, I can tell to some degree, like how much time they're spending with real people, how important empathy is by how nuanced their communications are about like what space they're in. So for me, the nuance of the communication, and then eventually you see that in the stuff the company sells, but how you talk and how you talk about a brand should be deeply rooted in a person. That's how I start seeing if we're getting traction. I got you. Kelly, I want to sneak this in. I yes, am so please. fascinated by insights. Ah. If you could give me one resource that is Insights 101 or Insights for Dummies, what would that be? Oh my goodness. There's a lot that exists. Your favorite, curated from you. Curated for me. I spent a lot of time probably at the first piece of it, looking at culture and being like, so I digest like Futures Laboratory is like one organization, I guess, like I spend a lot of time with that and WGSN. I love, love, love the global context for just understanding like people, trends. So those are like on my every week, like those are two places. Like I definitely spend some time and that gives me a lot of fodder for what I want to ask about or who I want to talk to or, or where to look. So those are like two of my go-tos. Awesome. Thank you so much. Futures Lab and GSN. WGSN. WGSN. Got it. Gems for our listeners. Appreciate you. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, I know I want to be respectful of your time. We could have many more hours of conversation, but thank you for sharing. It's really, really amazing to hear about your journey and to hear about your values and how they manifest themselves in the organizations that are fortunate enough to get to have you at the helm. So we're grateful for your time, grateful for your influence and example, and we're excited to share your story with people. If folks want to look you up or find you, what's the best place or way to do that? Ooh, the best place to find me would probably be under LinkedIn. I show up as Kelly Garrett Ziegler. 
on Instagram, I believe I'm lady underscore KGZ1. Two great places to find me. You got it. Love it. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. So inspiring. Thank you so much. So fun. Talk to you all later.